0: It's Monday, January 11th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me today, it's Jason Moser. Good to see you, my friend. Good to see you. We got a lot going on this Monday. We've got a financial deal in the works. We've got increased guidance from one company. We're going to talk IPOs. We're going to get a quick preview of big bank earnings. But uh, I'm going to start with a, a statement I've said a couple of times recently, which is that on this show, we, we focus on business and investing. That's that's what this show is. Um, But given the events over the weekend, I have to start today with something that is outside the realm of business and investing. And I am referring, of course, to the Cleveland Browns, stunning the sports world by going into Pittsburgh and drubbing the Steelers forty-eight to thirty-seven. Are you kidding me? Are you, <laughs> I, I thought there was something wrong with my ESPN app when
1: I looked at my phone and it was twenty-eight nothing in the first quarter.
0: This just crazy.
1: That was impressive, and and Chris, I mean, I'm going to say this now because because sports betting is 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 legal and we're seeing the proliferation of it everywhere proudly for all of you cleveland browns fans there i know that the browns were the underdogs i took the money line on the browns yesterday so i'm a happy i'm a happy camper i took the over and the browns on the money line so yesterday was a good day it's oh, one more reason I'm sad we're not in the office
0: because coffee would
1: be on you today if I had known that's that. That's
0: right. That's right. All right. Um, uh, let's start with Twitter because shares of Twitter are down 6% this morning. Uh, as uh, most folks probably know, late on Friday, Twitter permanently suspended the president of the United States from its platform. And I look at this sell off today, Jason, and it makes perfect sense to me because uh, for whatever you think of the president of the United States, He's got 80, or had 88 million followers on Twitter, was a huge driver of engagement on that platform. That's what Twitter's business model depends on. And they have yet to prove on a sustainable basis that they can uh, increase engagement dramatically or even methodically. And so uh, I understand the sell off.
1: Yeah, and, and I mean it was a little bit worse earlier in the day. Um, I, I I do agree with you. I mean, I regardless of how you feel about what's played out here, I mean the fact of the matter is that um, Twitter has has certainly benefited. The business has benefited from his presence over the last four years, and uh, this is the danger of of relying on politics, whether you want to or not. Twitter is is a platform that. Is probably known for politics more than anything else. I mean, we we obviously have a robust uh, investing community on Twitter, but but I really do think politics overshadows all of it. So um, the problem is when when you have such a such a large presence in the political spectrum, you're gonna make decisions that that alienate half your platform almost always and and so there's no question that this decision that they've made and this was not a this was not a, a unique decision right we've seen this decision made across many many platforms um, but but this is this is the kind of decision that's gonna alienate ultimately half of your users in um, and, and yeah President Trump had 88 million followers and to put that to context in in Twitter's most recent earnings uh, release uh, they reported average monetizable daily active usage. Right, that's that metric they use now to to basically measure engagement in terms of the business. That that number was 187 million users, and so essentially half of those you know, Trump's following was was represents essentially half of that of the user base. And that and that 187 million, by the way, was up twenty-nine percent from a year ago. I mean anything over the last four years, like I said, the business has benefited from his presence because it has kept engagement up. And and I, I think that you're right, they haven't really proven that they're gonna be able to sustain and grow engagement in a post-Trump world. Um, To assume that engagement could be impacted from this decision, I think, is a reasonable assumption. Does it affect advertisers? We'll have to wait and see. Over the long haul, maybe this is just a break-even decision, right? a, a bit of a tougher decision in the short run on the business, but maybe over the long run it creates a healthier uh, environment for Twitter users and that works out. I don't know, they just have to wait and see there. But to me, honestly, I mean, it, it, you hit the nail on the head there and just proving Engagement beyond this, I think they've got bigger concerns, and and it's it's very difficult to see or to understand exactly what the end game is here because Twitter today, for all intents and purposes, it's the same as as we've always seen, right? It's just the same Twitter we've been using, minus a couple of bells or, or you know minus a couple of bells and whistles here and there. I mean, I think the the biggest innovation we've seen from Twitter in a while is fleets. And I, listen, man, I mean, I'm not impressed. I mean I don't I don't make them. I don't use them. Judging from my timeline, the novelty on fleets has worn off. So, uh, yeah, I mean yeah, as, as a former Twitter shareholder, I don't regret not owning these shares anymore. I, I do still use the platform, but as a user, I can see plenty of challenges on the horizon.
0: Like you, I didn't really understand fleets when it first launched, but I did sort of allow that, like, hey, maybe this is, look, I'm not interested in this, but I could see other people do. And uh, that thought went away recently when I saw a few different people on Twitter, basically, you know, people on Twitter with followings of a decent size where they went out of their way to say, hey, just because I put out fleets doesn't mean I engage with people who react to my fleet? <laughs> I just, I only, and I just thought, oh boy, yeah, no, that's not, I, that's not working for Twitter. No. Um, l- let's move on to. I was going to say the deal of the day, but it's not a done deal yet, um, and it is right up your alley. So I want to get your thought on this. This is NCR, yeah, offering to buy Cardtronics for thirty nine dollars a share in cash. Cardtronics operates ATMs and financial kiosks. Cardtronics actually had a deal in place last month with Apollo Global and Hudson Executive Capital. That was for $35 a share. NCR bumping that bid up. And yet, um, <laughs> what, what, what does it say to you about this, either this space or this investment opportunity, that shares of both NCR and Cardtronics are down today? I, yeah. I, I would have thought at a minimum Cardtronics would be up just because they're. If this deal goes through, they're getting a, a a higher bid.
1: Yeah, I mean, to your point, there is an offer on the table. There is no deal yet. Um, you can be forgiven if you see the headline and think ATMs, WTF? I mean, what what is this all <laughs> oh, ATMs, really? I mean, like, come on. Um, and, and, and that's a fair that's a fair, <laughs> very fair question. Uh, to me, when you dig a little bit deeper, this this is really about the transformation of the the physical banking branch. Uh, more and more being able to do more and more stuff via the ATM versus actually having to go into the actual branch. I mean, I think that's something that that does exist. I think that's a strategy that that, that exists out there today. Um, and, and it's not just about going to an ATM to, to to get cash. It's about automated banking. It's about having. It's about having essentially a smaller branch, a, a branch that. You can do just as much with an ATM as you would with a physical branch, and you don't have to staff the physical branch. You don't have to pay for the retail or for the for the, the real estate for the physical branch. And so, the, the part of that is 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 uh, is what this deal is about. But you have to look really at, at what NCR does in total to, to get a better grip on it. And and so they serve a few different industries they serve banking retail and hospitality industries and and so let's focus on the banking segment because really that's more than half of the business so that's what really matters here and and actually interestingly enough the the atm business in 2019 the atm business grew revenue 29% and so that that goes towards that being able to do more banking via atm versus actually having to go to the branch but but they offer all sorts of different solutions it's it's not just a hardware atm business i mean it's it's customer facing digital banking digital connected services uh, software solutions ATM management systems and software, payment processing, uh, but there's another interesting angle to this business in that Cardtronics owns a debit network, and that debit network is called AllPoint. That's part of the Cardtronics business, and so part of this acquisition is actually getting hold of that debit network. And, and so I do understand wanting uh, to, to to be able to bring that into their business because. Uh, it, NCR does also have a payment offering. They they made an, an acquisition of a little company called JetPay. Uh, it, was sort of, it was a merchant acquirer. Uh, they made that acquisition, I think, back in 2019. So a debit network would be something that would not really overlap with their current business. It'd be a bit more complementary and a little bit more uh, recurring. And, and so I think part of the deal really does center around that debit network. And, and I mean, you look at Cardtronics. Economics. You look at the financials. I mean, this is a business, It's a smaller company, right? It, it's a true small cap. The financials show that it's it's having some trouble growing. It's a competitive environment, uh, particularly for a smaller company, and and so NCR can kind of swoop in there. Even at thirty nine dollars a share, it's it's not it's not an excessive valuation, so they, they can offer a little bit of, a, of an olive branch there and say, we'll pay a little bit more, uh, because we feel like there are, are some, some complementary sides of your business that will roll into our portfolio, including that debit network, I, I do get it.
0: Shares of Lululemon Athletica up a bit this morning after the company raised earnings and revenue guidance for the quarter that ends on January 31st. CEO Calvin McDonald said Lululemon had a strong holiday season. How strong? I guess we're going to find out next month. But um, a nice reminder that uh, before earnings season really starts to heat up, We're going to start to hear more of this from retailers. We're going to start to get more tea leaves from not just, uh, sort of, specific retailers like Lululemon Athletica, but the general ones like Walmart, Target, Costco, etc.
1: Yeah. And and I'm not surprised to see uh, Lululemon report this, right, pre-announce this, because really, I mean, this is a time when a lot of folks are at home, exercise is becoming a bit more of an option for many of us than, than it probably was before when we were running uh, all around and and trying to make schedules work. And and Lululemon has done such a good job over the past several years of of really owning the brand and the experience, right? I mean, it's a business that has made a concerted effort to not rely on wholesale. I mean, there is a wholesale dynamic to the business, but not to the extent uh, that you would see with other other retailers. And, And I think that's something that's starting to pay off um, the Mirror acquisition is is another compelling one, I think. I mean, it, it remains to be seen what they ultimately do with it. They, they didn't pay an arm and a leg for it. And, and I do feel like it was $500 million, I think, that acquisition was. So, if you look at Lululemon's acquisition of Mirror versus Under Armour's 500 and some odd million, they paid for those silly little apps that they've now divested. Uh, no question, I can see a bit more of a path toward profitability and, and growing the business with Mirror. So, I mean that that that's something I think that could could potentially pay off down the road. And, and management has been focused on this this uh, what they call the power of three growth plan. That's something they introduced, I believe, in two thousand and nineteen. Um, you know, nothing nothing revolutionary here. But the power of three; these are sort of the three drivers. These are the three principles that are really driving their growth strategy. It's product innovation omni-guest experiences and market expansion, and so they continue to do things that line up with these three prongs of that strategy, of that plan. Uh, It seems to be working out. Clearly, Lululemon has been a wonderful holding over the past several years for investors. I I really don't think that will change, and I think a lot of that really goes back to just their ability to, to truly own that brand and the experience.
0: Really can't wait to see what numbers, if any, they share about Mirror. I'm curious oh, yeah, yeah. in the, the overall report, uh, but just the fact that so much of their at least television and video on, like you know, you see YouTube ads and that sort of thing. So much of their video advertising strategy at the end of 2020 was geared squarely at Mirror Sales. I'm interested to see if they were able to move the needle on that. Me too. Marketfoolery at fool.com is our email address. Got a question from Alan Bishop who writes, recently you mentioned that Airbnb only sold a small portion of the company during the IPO. Is that typical and is that perhaps one reason why the stock price doubled? Lots of people wanting to own the stock but very few shares available for sale. I'm wondering if, as the rest of the shares are sold by insiders, will that bring b- down the stock price? Uh, thank you for that, Alan. Um, yeah, this, I mean, typically we see in an IPO uh, companies deciding, you know, one of the decisions they make in that uh, the capital raise event is what portion of the company are we going to sell off? I don't rem- remember specifically what it was in the case of Airbnb, but I remember thinking at the time, they're just putting a little slice out there.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, the goal isn't to sell your company. The goal is to raise money so that you can really grow your business and and going going public is a fantastic option for that. And so so yeah, I mean with with Airbnb, um, it is really just it, it does come down to just economics 101, right? Supply and demand. And when you have a company that they put, they put a limited number of shares out there, you've got a ton of enthusiasm behind them uh, to, to boot. Uh, you're going to see demand really ramp up on a very limited supply of shares. And, uh, and, and so that, it, to an extent, is normal. I think that's what makes it so difficult with some of these IPOs to really price them effectively, um, because you have to try to gauge not only the psychology behind investors At the time of the IPO, but also just generally market conditions. I mean, anything can happen at any given point in time. Information travels so quickly. Um, But, but to your point about owners selling off uh, some of their holdings as lockups expire, there will be shares. More shares will become available, Um, and and it's always something to keep in mind. I mean, lockups are something that uh, they make. They make good financial media fodder. Because in theory, as lockups expire and more shares are available, then you would see some selling, um, which would drive the price down. Uh, But by the same token, we know the market is a forward-looking mechanism. A lot of times, I mean, that stuff is kind of priced into it, right? I mean, it's not—that's not unknown information. That's information we all know. It's information you can find in the ten K. So you know we probably don't see that big of a movement on lockup expirations as maybe we once did, Um, but yeah, I mean regardless, I mean I think uh, it's it's something very common. Uh, It it does boil down just to supply and demand, and right now uh, the demand for those Airbnb limited that limited amount of Airbnb shares is is high.
0: We also got an email from Jay in Columbus, Ohio. He writes, "I did some boots on the ground research." It appears that Chipotle's new cauliflower rice is a hit. The guy behind the counter said it's sold out and seems to be popular already.
1: Hey, you folks out there like that cauliflower rice, huh? Apparently. Well, I told like- you. I I I went through when we were talking about that on Motley Fool Money on Friday. I'd gone through um, Twitter just just to kind of get a, a gauge, and it it, it did seem like. The folks who were the folks who were trying it really liked it. So I mean, I, I think uh, I mean, hey, man, it's not for me, but but I, it's clearly it's clearly for plenty of people out there, and that's great to know that it's a hit. Because like we were talking about, two extra dollars is two extra dollars. Absolutely, and I think <laughs> uh,
0: you know if this continues to play out, the only question for Chipotle is, do they keep this in the limited offer category? Uh, sort of build up that excitement a couple of times a year, you know, in January when people are yeah. uh, maybe thinking more about losing weight? Or is it such a hands down financial winner for them that they move it to full time? So we'll, we'll see where they go with that. Um, real quick, we're a couple of weeks away from earnings Palooza starting up, but this Friday we're getting the first. Of the big banks reporting their latest earnings, Citigroup, Wells Fargo, J.P. Morgan Chase. Um, what should people be watching? What are you going to be watching with respect to the big banks this quarter?
1: Yeah, there are a few things. Um, you know, we we for all for all that we've been talking about over the past several months, you know, the one word we haven't really heard muttered a whole heck of a lot is recession. Uh, but the fact of the matter is, we're technically, I guess, still in one, right? I mean, it, it, it'd be interesting to hear the views on current financial conditions, right? I mean, it, it was a, a call back in December for JP Morgan where Jamie Dimon, the CEO of JP Morgan, was very adamant. He said, listen, we need another stimulus package. I mean, this is not something that's up for debate, and it really is something that they need to need to see happen. And so, uh, I mean, as, as the As as we kind of plow through this recession and start to come out of it, I mean, I'd like to hear the the perspective there on on kind of where they see things, uh, where they see things going, and and along with that, I mean, clearly the political landscape has changed significantly in in a very short period of time here, and so understanding uh, leadership's uh, views on you know not only the the new administration but really the new landscape of the Senate and how things may or may not get accomplished in D.C. Um, I mean, a lot of these banks were kind of put on hold for a little while in in what they could and couldn't do, and uh, then what we've seen over the past several months is a lot of these banks have been reserving a lot of 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 uh, money because of the, the current recession, current economic conditions. I mean, th- there are probably going to be some write-offs that they have to be able to cover. Uh, but by the same token, they're starting to look a little bit more forward, particularly if we get, that, if, if we get continued stimulus. Uh, maybe they don't necessarily need to reserve so much money, and if they're able to start releasing some of those reserves uh, towards the middle of the year, we, we might see a more encouraging back half of the year. Uh, in in the financial space. I think technology continues to interest me as far as how these big bank CEOs are viewing it. I mean, Jamie Dimon on that on that same call, he he called out companies like PayPal and Square uh, and even Google and talking about the, the investments that they've been making and how technology is changing the the space so fast. And um, he said something something to the extent of if you have any complacency about that technology, <laughs> he said you're a little crazy. And so I, I think he's got that Square in his in his uh, in his sights there, making sure that J.P. Morgan at least. Um, Keeps up with with the advancement in in technology. And I think the the other big banks will do that as well. And and then finally, I think the one that just sort of stands out to me. And this is this is a a shout out to Matt Frankel, uh, my partner in crime on industry focus financials. Uh, Monday, last Monday, he called out was Wells Fargo as his top stock for twenty twenty one. It, which was an interesting one. It's kind of a value play there because Wells Fargo is the one that really um, put, you know, the Fed really put the hammer down on Wells Fargo earlier in in regard to dividends and buybacks. And this company tried to, to reshape its culture and all of these problems they've been having over the past uh, a couple of years. And so, it does seem like, Things are starting to turn around. They're starting to run into that nice problem of excess capital, uh, which means they're going to be able to start buying back shares. They're going to be able to keep paying that dividend, ratchet that dividend up a little bit. So I'll, I'll be paying particularly close attention to Wells Fargo because it's the one big bank of the all that's it, it's trading at a discount to its book value. I mean, it's actually trading under book value and at a discount to its peers. So there's a lot of potential there if uh, if things continue to uh, to to brighten up here in 2021
0: be interesting to see if somewhere in the next couple of months we get wind that uh, Buffett uh, has maybe bought a few more shares of Wells Fargo. (laughs) It could be a shrewd investment. He's a pretty shrewd investor. Jason, thanks for being here. Thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.